0: Amen. I invite you to be seated. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. I'll just say before we get into this passage that I've struggled for the last couple of weeks whether or not to preach my traditional Mother's Day sermon or to stay in the book of Romans. And as I got into this passage, I was very tempted often to say I'd rather preach about moms than to deal with this text. But God would not let me leave this. So here we are in Romans chapter 5. We've looked at the truth of justification. We Remember, we said last week justification or being made right with God makes a difference in not only where we spend eternity, but how we live right now. We said that we have this assurance of a, of a hope. that's a, a firm confidence of an eternity with Christ. It's grounded in God's unfailing love for us. The Bible said God demonstrated, God proved His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, that hope that we have in being right with God is based on the finished work of Christ on the cross. So, if you would follow along as I read aloud, beginning in verse 12 of Romans 5. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way death spread to all men because all sinned. In fact, sin was in the world before the law, but sin is not charged to a person's account when there is no law. Nevertheless, Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. He, referring to Adam, is the prototype of the coming one, referring to Christ. And that's the heart of this passage. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if by one man's trespass the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift overflowed to the many by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ? And the gift is not like the one man's sin, because from one sin came judgment, resulting in condemnation, but from many trespasses came the gift, resulting in justification. Since by one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So then, as through one trespass there is condemnation for everyone, so also through one righteous act there is life-giving justification for everyone. For just as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so also through one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. The law came along to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul is answering the question here, how is it that all men are guilty? So he goes back to Adam, the first man. Let me just read a couple of things that have been said about this passage. One Everett Harrison commentator said that the difficult portion of this epistle right here is packed with close reasoning and theological terminology, and it stands at the very heart of the development of Paul's thought. Others have said this is the most difficult passage, one of the most debated passages in the whole Bible. Some have said definitely in the book of Romans, verse 12 is one that's been debated for, for centuries. So what joy to be able to try to unpack that for you today. Here's the main idea. Don't miss this, all right, because I, I, I'll be honest with you. Some of this I haven't been able to say to to nail it down. That's exactly what he's saying. I'll give you what I believe God is saying. But here's the main idea. Sin and death came from Adam, the first man. Righteousness and life come through Christ, the second Adam. So what we have is this contrast, and we'll get to that in a minute, of Adam and Christ. So what's been said about this passage, number one? What's been said about this passage, especially verse 12? Volumes, books, have been written about, verse 12. Some teach that sin is passed from generation to generation biologically. They say that, that, that Adam's sin is passed when, when people uh, have sexual relations and biologically sin is passed on. That has been the, uh, wrapped up in the doctrine of original sin. Augustine said that, that we were present in the loins of Adam. That's why some uh, belief systems baptize infants because they believe they have to wash away that taint of original sin. It even led to the, the deification of Mary, making her perpetual virginity, all of that. That's a distortion of this passage. Letter B, some teach that Adam represented the human race as the head. There's a whole lot of different uh, aspects of this, different understandings that in Adam's representing the human race. Some talk about the doctrine of the imputation saying that, that Adam acted on our behalf because he was the head of the human race. And There's a lot of, of merit in that, but it's not really clear. Uh, it doesn't make sense to us in our in our mindset that one person could do something that could that could affect all of us but i i just go back to the truth that that what god is saying is is this one first man sinned and the results the 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 consequences of that sin have affected all of us that's my understanding of that so there's a little for me some merit in that representation uh, philosophy or that representation theory there. I think about it in the Old Testament. Remember when the children of Israel took Jericho, and after Jericho, God told them to destroy everything, don't keep any of the spoils of victory. Then they went to the next battle in Ai, and, and they, were, they were slaughtered. They, they, they ran, not slaughtered, but they, they were uh, routed, and the, the Israelites ran with their tail between their legs, and, and they found out that one man and the whole hundreds of thousands of Israelites had sinned. Achan had taken some of the spoils of victory. For himself. And here's what God said in Joshua. He said, About that, he said, Israel has sinned. Now, one man's sin affected a whole nation. That's kind of the concept here that, that carries over from Old Testament to New Testament. The people who read this understood that one man's sin can affect others. And that's how they're talking about Adam here. So, Adam representing humanity, Jesus Christ representing this new spiritual humanity that we're going to talk about. I love what Douglas Moose says about this verse 12. There really is no clear-cut evidence of exactly what's being stated here. So I do know this much. I do know this much. Adam sinned, and there are consequences to that sin. The main theme in this passage of Christ is Christ. So number two, what does this passage clearly teach? What does this passage clearly teach? Again, we're talking about the first man And then Christ. First of all, responsibility for sin entering the world is clearly placed on Adam's shoulders. You can't get away from that. Over and over again through this passage, Paul is saying Adam's sin and their consequences that he is the guilty one. Have you ever told your kids don't cross that line? And what do they do? They cross that line. It's interesting that some of the words for sin here in this translation are trespass. I remember when I was a kid, I see the sign, no trespassing. That's what Adam did. There's a line in the sand, and God said, you can have all of this beautiful fruit in this garden, but there's one tree, Adam. Don't mess with it. And what did Adam do? Adam and Eve both, they went right for that tree. By the way, Adam is the head of the family. He's the one who's accountable there, in case you're wondering. Uh, the Bible says clearly that Adam made that choice. The responsibility is on his shoulders. Letter B, Adam separated the human race from God when he sinned. In in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had intimate fellowship with God. There was this special relationship that they had with him. They talked with him when they walked in the morning and the evening. There was this intimate relationship. And when Adam sinned, that relationship was broken. No longer intimate, separated from God, at odds with God, enemies with God. That's clear in this passage. If you read the account in Genesis 3, we don't have time to do that. But remember after Adam sinned, He's he's basically hiding out, and God says, Adam, where are you? Remember that? And God hadn't lost Adam. God wanted Adam to know that he had distanced himself from him by his sin. God is saying, Adam, I want you to know where you are. You are separated from me. And we are separated from God because of what Adam did. The human race, no longer what God intended us to be. Really, some scholars have said subhuman, Because we were created to be in the image of God and in his likeness and fellowship with him. And then through sin, we have fallen from that. It's called the fall in Genesis chapter 3. Someone said there are two indisputable, undeniable facts in this passage. Sin is universal and death is universal. That's clear. It's clear. Do you ever have a, a relationship with someone that things were going good and then suddenly something wasn't right? That happens to me all the time. Are you surprised? And and often I will go to that, to that person and say, I feel like there's distance between us. Has something happened that I'm I'm missing, or maybe I know what it is. <laughs> I feel like there's distance. Can we can we can we get back together? Can we get rid of whatever that is? That's what happened when Adam sinned. God says, There's something between us. It's called sin. Let her see, another clear teaching. Somehow Adam's descendants ever since. Those of us who've lived uh, since then and those who are Adam's initial children, ever since then, we know this, we have inherited an environment in which sin is easy. An environment in which sin is easy. This world we live in. You know, sometimes we call it a fallen world. Have you heard us talk about that? Because in Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says that was the fall. When we quit being what God intended us to be, we live in a fallen world. And we live in this environment where it's easy to sin. When I was growing up, my next door neighbor, right there, right next door to us, hung out at his house a lot. His parents had this philosophy, as long as you're in our house, you can do anything you want. And he, when he went in his bedroom and locked that door, he could do anything he, want, anything he wanted. Parties went on in there, drugs went on in there, everything, and, and they were okay with that. And I visited him a lot because he was my next door neighbor. We even, they would even hang out his bedroom window. And the neighborhood guys would come hang out because it was cool to be there. And I found out this from my next-door neighbor. When I was at his house, it was very easy for me to fall. It was very easy for me to, to succumb to the sins that were there. Why? Because it was an environment that made it easy to do that. That's just a microcosm. That's just a picture of the world we live in. Folks, have you found that out? It's tough to stay faithful because of this environment we live in. Secondly, we've inherited a nature that's inclined towards sin. A nature that's inclined towards sin. It's called the the sin nature. I really and truly haven't ever met anyone. Well, I did. I met one girl who has denied that they've sinned. little girl at a vacation Bible school in Crystal City shared the gospel with a group of kids. and, And one of the first things I ask children is, Do you know what sin is? Because they need to understand that. We'll get to that in a minute. And she said, yes. And so I said, have you ever sinned? And she thought for a minute. She said, no, but my sister has. (laughs) She's the exception. I believe she knew, but she wasn't willing to fess up. We have this tendency to sin. I love what Ray Stedman says about this. I need go no farther than my own heart to know that there's this tendency to sin. That's clear in this passage. What's the practical outcome of that nature, number three? Quickly, these three things, and then I'll get to the heart of the passage. We enter the world acting selfishly and sinfully. We are born into a world that has fallen and very quickly we demonstrate that. Have you ever been around a baby or a toddler who is selfish? Who says it's all about them? Nobody has to teach a two-year-old how to disobey. I'd say 18 months, 12 months. Goodness. L- listen to this. This Ray Steadman shares this. This is a, this is a report from the Minnesota Crime Commission. This is crazy. Every baby starts life as a little savage. He is completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it. He wants his mother's attention, his playmate's toys, his uncle's watch. Deny him what he wants and he seethes with rage and aggression, which would be murderous if he were not so helpless. He is dirty. He has no morals, no knowledge, no skills. This means that all children, not just certain children, are born delinquent. If permitted to continue in the self-centered world of his infancy, given free reign to his impulsive actions to satisfy his wants, every child would grow up to be a criminal. Now that's that crime commission came up with that. You know what they're saying? What the Bible's saying. We all have this tendency to sin. Secondly, God holds us accountable for our actions when we're able to be aware of those actions and sense guilt. He mentions in this passage that when the law was there, when the law was not there, the sin was, was not the same, and, but he still says we're still accountable. It, it's not the, the marker there. We'll talk about that in a minute that shows we're wrong like the law did, but there's still this accountability there. We're not told how we have this nature, we're just told that we have it. Someone called Adam's sin the, the hole in the dike. Just the start of the, the flood of an attitude of separation from God. And then thirdly, we are guilty because we sin. Some people have argued, I, I, don't, I don't like the fact that God says because Adam sinned, I'm a sinner. Well, forget that argument, okay? Just if you have to forget that argument, have you ever sinned? You're, you're, someone said it's not fair, and, and I like one, one scholar said it's, it's completely fair because God said I'll, I'll have one man be the one who's accountable, and I'll identify with him and say everyone, when he fell, everyone sins. If he were to take every one of us, one by one, individual in the human race, and all have us all stand before God, the verdict would be the same. We sin. Verse 13 and 14, I'm not going to spend any time this morning talking about, but the consequences of sin are always there. But I want to pick up verse 14 and look at this new humanity because this is is what we need to understand today. Instead of getting hung up on the fact that we've sinned, because Paul spent the four chapters talking about, three chapters talking about that, and now four and five talking about the change, the new humanity. Let's look at this contrast. Again, sin and death came through Adam, the first man, but righteousness and life come through Christ. Let's look at this contrast. Again, he says in, in, uh, in verse 14, Adam is the prototype or the, the picture of the one to come, the ultimate one who would save. Number one, Through Adam's trespass, many died. Through Christ's gift, many live. What a contrast. Many died, and and this doesn't just mean physical death, but spiritual death because of Adam's sin. Many died, but through Christ's gift, many live. I love that. That that he talks about this gift in this passage. That, that, That we have this gift that's been given by God. Verse 15. How much more by the grace of God and the gift did it overflow to the many? We, we talk all the time about the importance of a gift and, and receiving that gift. Many died, but through Christ's gift, we'll talk about the gift in a minute, many live. My son was in Nepal in India a couple of years ago. I think it was in Nepal where he went to a church and the, they told a story about a man who was the town bully And this town bully had had beat up people, had even been accused of murdering people, and and everybody was afraid of him. The pastor invited him to come to that small church. He came to that church, and he received Christ as Savior. And Cameron said when he was there worshiping them, this guy was one of the key leaders in worship. And And I thought, what a picture of death. The town bully murdering people, harassing people, attacking people. Because of Christ, he now lives. To stand and worship God. What a contrast. That's what what the enemy, Satan, wants. He wants us to live in death and be isolated. But in Christ, we have life like that man. Secondly, through Adam's one sin, many are condemned. Through Christ's one gift, many are justified. Now, in your outline, I meant to highlight one sin and one gift. So underline those two phrases or circle them or something. That's what I meant to highlight in that point. Through Adam's one sin, many are condemned. Through Christ's one gift, many are justified. John chapter 3, unless someone is born again, he can't receive the kingdom of God. John 3, 16, God gave. John chapter 1, verse 12, as many as received him, that gift has to be received. What a contrast. This one sin condemning the world, but this this gift that God gives, hope, life, righteousness. My wife, Kelly, is on a road trip to Fort Worth this week to help some of our family get a house ready for sale. And, and um, my son and I both planned our Mother's Day gift for her. Even though she's not my mom, I give her a gift. Hint, guys, hint, hint. So I, I got Kelly a card, and I got her a gift, and I had it there. It's wrapped up in my study. And Kelly and Carissa got in the car and drove off. And they're down the road. I'm thinking, oh, no, I forgot the gift. And I'm, I'm like, I didn't give him the Mother's Day gift because he's not going to be here. And I was worried about it. So I texted her, you, I, I meant to give you something. About that time she walks in the door, she'd forgotten her phone. So thank you, Lord. So I gave her her gift. Listen, if she had driven to Dallas-Fort Worth, she wouldn't receive her Mother's Day gift on Mother's Day. Even though I bought it, Even though I paid for it, even though I thought about it, even though I put a card in there that said how wonderful she is, she wasn't there to receive it if I didn't give it to her. Does that make sense? Eternal life has been purchased by Christ. He he paid the price for your eternity. He covered your sin. He canceled the debt, but you have to receive it. That one gift must be received. So important. Next, through Adam's sin, death reigned. But through Christ, we have victory over death. Through Adam's sin, death reigned. Because we're born into the human race, we're dying from the moment we're born. But through Christ, we have victory over death. Christ's death reversed the effects of sin. Isn't that incredible? The death of Christ and the resurrection reversed the effects of sin. I I see these commercials all the time of this uh, miracle cream that's supposed to reverse the effects of aging. Ladies spend lots of money, I'm sure some guys do, to put this stuff on to reverse the effects of aging. It doesn't reverse the effects, it just covers it up. It just prolongs the inevitable, right? The death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, it took care of it. It isn't prolonging anything, it's giving us hope and eternity. Victory over death. I stood at a graveside this last week. And, and, and got to say to that, that group gathered around the grave, this, this person knew Christ as Savior, and they're not here. They're with the Lord. To be absent from the bodies present with the Lord. What hope? What victory over death? By the way, I've been to some funerals where there was no hope in the resurrection, where the casket was draped in black, and all they talked about was death. Oh, what a shame. In Christ we have hope. Victory over death. Number four, through Adam's sin, many are condemned. Through Christ's sacrifice, many are justified, acquitted, debts paid for. We've talked about that before last week. Through Adam, condemnation, through Christ's justification. Number five, through Adam's sin and his disobedience, many were made sinners. Through Christ's obedience, many were made righteous. Look at the contrast. Disobedience. Obedience. Aren't you glad that Christ was obedient? Do you know the Bible says this? that no one took his life, he laid it down, that Jesus Christ willingly went to the cross for you, it was because of his obedience that that disobedience of Adam has been canceled. What a blessing. What a blessing. Just quickly look at these differences we can highlight. The motivation is different. Adam's motivation. Selfishness. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to call the shots. Christ, selfless. The motivation is totally different. The results are opposite. In Adam, the result is death. In Christ, the result is life. The power is different. Sin plunges humanity into chaos. Christ restores us to our true spiritual humanity. What a difference. Tim Keller said, At the cross we see that the most that sin can do, it cannot thwart God's salvation. And I said another way, as bad as it gets, as bad, as disobedient, as running from God as you can get, nothing can undo the power of God through the cross of Christ. Nothing. And then he closes in verse 20 and 21, this victory of grace. I love it. I'm going to read 20 and 21 again. The law came to multiply the trespass, But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. I love that. So also, grace, we reign through righteousness and eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He mentions that God gives us the standard of the law in this passage. We've talked a lot about that, how the the law shows that we've been wrong. If I'm driving in a new area, and I've done this before, drive going through intersection after intersection, this one intersection several times. Then, I, then the city shows up and trims the trees, and I discover there's a stop sign there I never saw. You know what that is? That's the law. I've been breaking it every time I drove through that intersection. I just didn't know it. God's word, the Ten Commandments, and the rest of the law is there to show us you're wrong. God's right. The law served to point us to Christ. It was temporary to say this is, this is to show you you can't be good enough to go to heaven. Did you hear that? You can't be good enough to go to heaven. There's nothing you can do. The Bible says all of my righteousness, all of the good stuff I can do is as filthy rags before God. And then I love this last truth here where sin abounded, grace superabounded. That's a literal translation of grace multiplied there. Where sin abounded, grace superabounded. Listen, God's grace is sufficient and even beyond sufficient. It is everything we need. When I was in Pattaya, Thailand, on one of our mission trips, one of the things we do is visit a place called the Tamar Center. And they explain to us as you go in that Tamar Center is there to rescue girls that have been trapped in sex trafficking. They're prostitutes who've been brought into this ministry, led to Christ, and shown some skills so that they can earn a living without having to be prostitutes. And so I heard these stories about Tamar Center and we went in there and we were greeted by these young ladies with joy in their countenance and hope in their eyes. And we went upstairs and we went to the, I call it the sweatshop because it was hot and sweaty in there, if y'all have been in there. And they're in there making gift cards, greeting cards that they sell and jewelry that they sell. And every one of those ladies in that room were prostitutes who had met Jesus Christ, and when you looked in their faces, you saw life. You saw grace. Romans chapter 5, this last passage here, says the world, because of Adam's sin, wants to trap, wants to condemn, wants to put people in bondage, just like those girls at Tamar. But through Christ, there is victory, there's freedom, there's life. If you've never met Christ as Savior, I'm, I'm pleading with you. I'm pleading with you. Admit that you've sinned, that you need a Savior, and be willing to give your life to Him and receive eternal life by faith. Let's pray.